the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. In 2006, after building the best-selling franchise, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, with her husband Richard, author Christine Carlson faced a shattering loss, the sudden death of her beloved spouse. She came to understand intimately how our losses are our defining moments and that how we go through them shapes us. Christine's path offers a life-altering map for navigating the journey from loss to joy. She is the author of the book, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thanks so much for having me. Christine, I love your book and I love this topic because like you, everything that I'm doing today was the result of tremendous loss. In a period of six months, eight years ago, my 23-year marriage ended, my mother died, and my sister died. And so I understand everything that you write about. And I'm really excited about this conversation because... Your story, my story, the story of so many others, they really illustrate that you can find joy and happiness on the other side of an experience that really does rock your world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a lot to go through in a short period of time. And, you know, I often hear that from people that, you know, they lose one family member, then they lose another. And, you know, it's it's makes for a very difficult, difficult change and transition, but you're right, we can all return to joy if we do our healing work. And most of the time, I think, and you probably find this too, that after we've gone through great loss, we actually, and we come out the other side, we're actually living better versions of ourselves because our lives take on such a deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. I recently spoke with David Kessler who worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on the grief model, and he is working on a uh, another stage in the model, which he calls meaning, because mm-hmm. he said when you go through tremendous loss and grief, most people try to make sense of it. They try to find meaning in their life from that. And your work, it, it's, it's the same thing. People, I meet so many people like you who take that pain and they take that loss and they transform it into something so meaningful and important. Yeah, oftentimes you hear people say that everything happens for a reason, and I I kind of have a different take on that. I think that everything happens, and we find the reason why it happens, and that's mm-hmm. how we find meaning, and that's how we process, you know, that we, we need to um, grow. I think our souls came here to grow, and, you know, oftentimes it's our losses. It's the difficult things in life that really... Um, shine the light on our growth and really, you know, forces us to do our inner work. And and I think that's the great benefit. It's not anything that any of us ask for, but certainly it's something that we all will go through in our lifetimes. We will all um, have major changes and transitions and also major losses in our lifetime. Tell us about Richard and what your relationship was like. Well, Richard was as you would have suspected him to be. He um, was a very light human being, um, very lighthearted, 
A really happy guy. I think he had a um, high level of innate happiness he was born with, and he knew from a very early age that he was going to probably write and teach the world something about happiness. Some of the early stories of his life are when he was 11 years old, he named his dog Happy. And he was a really great tennis player, um, slated number one at Pepperdine when I met him in college. And he used to read Wayne Dyer and used to read um, different psychology books in order to get an edge on his own competitive nature. But then he found that he was so intrigued and he was so intrigued with the prospect of psychology and personal growth that um, he found that he was a healer and he started a career as a rolfer, which is a bodywork therapist, and then got his master's and PhD in psychology. And then we studied a very, um, very early form of what would be considered maybe kind of on the lines of positive psychology. Richard was a pioneer of his time. He was one of the very first um, psychologists and authors to look at the human being as being a positive um, person overall, that our mental state and well-being is something that we can access and that sometimes we get off kilter. But he didn't look at, um, he didn't really believe in traditional therapy in the sense of that it was super valuable to continue to hash up your past. I mean, he thought that, you know, certainly looking at your past in order to move forward um, was valuable, but, but not to sit and talk about your problems and commiserate about your problems. So he would have been one of the early authors to talk about some principles that really pointed to mental health and well-being, like how our thoughts matter and how we live in separate realities and how our moods matter to our experience of life and how present moment living is really the key to happiness. These are the kinds of things that he was um, talking about, you know, 25, 30 years ago, which were relatively new to psychology, but are now, of course, commonplace. So in a nutshell, you know, Richard and I had a really amazing life together. We had a really wonderful marriage. Uh, we um, have two daughters, and they are now grown, but at the time of his death, they were just 14 and 17. And so it was a very difficult time um, for our family, you know, he was only 45, I was 43. We we're really at a peak experience of our lives when he um, died of a pulmonary embolism on a flight uh, to New York. So before that moment, we thought he was relatively healthy. You know, we had no idea that he was really struggling with his health at that point. So it was quite a shock. Christine, what was it like for you after you lost him? Well, I mean, you can all imagine, I mean, my life was shattered um, at the news that my husband had died on a flight. I mean, I it was a complete shock. Um, I call that, you know, your initiation by crisis. It was certainly my initiation. And I say initiation because, you know, I, I sort of chose the a very um, loose depiction of the hero's journey in my books to talk about healing because we often find ourselves living on one timeline and then suddenly something happens it shatters our world as we know it and it sends us on a totally new trajectory in life and certainly that's what um, Richard's death did for my daughters and I we you know we're living our lives it was busy it was a busy time with two girls in high school and sports and you know doing full-time career Richard was I was full-time mom and you know, holding space for him. So even though I had written with him, I had written Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in Love and Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women, I wasn't in full ownership of my career as an author because I was in full swing of what it meant to be, you know, the main person in our home, um, you know, managing home for my family and for my husband. So my life and my daughter's life shattered. It really did. And, you know, at that point, I did my very, very best to hold their space so that they could grieve healthily while going through tremendous grief myself. And, you know, it took us a couple of years to get our feet on the ground. It wasn't like an instantaneous, um, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to suddenly just move through this and be happy. It wasn't like that. It was a lot of tears and a lot of um, deeper understanding of, of what it means to be human and what it means to allow your soul to... Um, go from being wounded to healed. And that was really my journey. That was really my daughter's journey as well. 
What do you think was your turning point when you decided that you didn't want to go down that path? I, I know for me, I was really going into a dark hole. I was going into a, a really dark place. And I knew that I needed to pull myself out for my children, my two sons. And I knew that I didn't want to live my life in, in that way any longer. And I think that while it's it's not an immediate choice, I, I do think that there is a choice that you make when you say I'm not going to be that victim or yeah. live this way. Well, I mean, the thing is, you know, I, I think that we all go down that road to some degree, you know, when we first um, have a life-shattering loss. And, you know, I, I decided pretty early on because of the background that I had in, you know, with my work with Richard and just all the tools. I've done a lot of personal growth work in my lifetime already, and I I decided really early on I could see myself um, doing this loss two ways. And one would be I would pull the covers up over my head and I would just disappear, you know, down the dark hole. Or I would pull the covers off every day and put my feet over the side of the bed and stand. And it was really getting up and knowing that I had been really blessed um, in life that I knew I'd had great love. I wasn't at the early stages of grief grateful for that great love because I was experiencing such pain in the loss of it. But I knew that I had been blessed. I knew that the best way that I could honor my life with Richard and honor him was to stand up and move and keep going for my daughters and, you know, keep moving into life and keep allowing my grief to heal me. You know, I didn't really think of grief as the enemy. I thought of this time period is very fertile ground for growth, and I knew it was. And I thought of grief as an emotional response to loss that came to heal me and to allow my tears to flow and allow, you know, I started to realize, I don't know if you felt this too, but I had really spent very little time in my adult life crying, very little time. And, and yet I had a lot of tears that I couldn't identify. Of course, they were from the loss of my husband, but I also felt like grief was kind of the great house cleaner. It sort of just went in, and as I allowed more of it to show up, I just felt renewed. And I felt like every tear that I was shedding was somehow um, lifting my spirit higher, allowing myself to become more of who I was. And, you know, this is all pretty astounding. It's all part of post-traumatic growth, you know, that we go through when we have a really, a really big shock. And... I like to think of it as an awakening, something that really awakens our heart to a deeper meaning in life, to a deeper expression of our soul, to maybe even our authentic expression, you know, if you will, that we become more of who we are um, when we're not holding life so tightly, when we realize that life is imperfect, but that there's a perfect design somehow for what we're going through. And you know, these are all things that I felt really compelled to share and from Heartbreak to Wholeness because, you know, I mean, it's it's a tough journey, as you know, Joan, to go through loss, but it, it, there's something really positive that comes out the other side. You know, I just don't want people to miss that possibility. I agree with you, Christine, because the work that I'm doing right now is the result of that loss. I would not be doing this work. I would have not created this brand. I would not be speaking with you had I not gone through all of that. And the other thing that that I agree with you on is allowing yourself to feel, to cry. So many yeah. people feel that they need to hold their feelings in or, or not not give themselves permission to feel what they're feeling. I, I cried. Sometimes I still cry. And, and I allow myself to do that because it is cleansing. I, I agree with you. And that would be my advice to someone who's going through pain and heartbreak right now. What would you say to someone who's in the middle of loss, someone who's suffering? I would say exactly the same thing. I would say that, you know, being stoic and being, you know, strong in that sense of not crying is only going to hurt you. It's, gonna, it's not going to make you strong. It's going to weaken other aspects of you somehow, your health possibly or other other things. So I, I think that, yeah, you're right. You know, the best thing that you can do is just give yourself some time and space to heal, as much time and space as possible. And that might not mean that you get time off from work. So it might mean that you 
go quieter on the weekends. You know, you give yourself time in nature. You take long, warm, hot baths. You do soothing self-care. You know, do the things that allow yourself to feel your feelings. You know, busying it up and partaking in more to do busyness isn't always the answer. In fact, I would say it's never the answer when you're in grief. I would say that spending some time in stillness, you know, allowing yourself to um, maybe even shake if you need to. You know, I, I don't know how I knew this, but I would lay on the ground and I would let my arms just fly open in my legs and I would just allow my body to shake until I would cry. And and then I would, you know, be in horrible pain and then the next moment I'd be in bliss. So one thing, you know, is listen to your body too. Your body has a way of teaching you, you know, when you're not feeling enough by you can ask your body where you feeling your pain. You know, I felt mine in my stomach. You know, my stomach would hurt. And if my stomach was hurting, I knew I wasn't crying enough because as soon as I laid down or I sat down and I cried, what would happen, my stomach would feel better. So, mm-hmm. you know, just you get these body clues. You know, you're, you're, you know how to do this as a human being. We're wired this way. We're wired to heal. But we have to give ourselves time to heal and space to heal and, and the right conditions to heal. So those are the things that I would suggest if you are in heartbreak of any kind. You know, a lot of people are experiencing heartbreak and loss over some, you know, natural disaster that's befallen them or their family members. So there's all sorts of reasons why we go through loss in our lifetime. and But we also need to heal those losses too, not the ones that are just from death or not just, but from death mm-hmm. or dying, but the ones that are even the more invisible losses that we, we have happen in our lives. So yeah, time and space, allow yourself, you know, plenty of time in nature and self-care, really good self-care. Christine, your book is about making the hero's journey to joy after heartbreak. And I love that you chose the word hero. What does it take to be a hero? What what made you choose that word? You know, um, that's a great question. And again, it goes back to that earlier um, comment that you made, Joan, about um, deciding not to be the victim. You know, that I really identified that that was the one huge pivot that somebody could make um, on the hero's journey was to not become a victim of their circumstances. And I just want to caveat that by saying This is not to say that your circumstances that you may be presented with are not negative or hard circumstances. That's not what I mean. It's about being able to embrace what is, knowing that this has already happened, not living in the past so much so that you can't move forward on your journey. You know, moving forward um, and stepping forward doesn't always mean moving on. You know, we don't move on from people we lose. We carry them forward, and the hero embraces the journey no matter what. The hero stands in the journey and says, you know, I don't necessarily like that this happened. I don't, I'm not happy about it, but I am going to step forward with courage. I am going to step forward and be brave. I am going to move into my life in a way that is, you know, somehow stepping into it as opposed to resisting it. These are all aspects of what I define as being the hero or the heroine. I mean, I chose <laughs> hero because, you know, you'll find women will respond to the word hero better than yeah. men will respond to the word heroine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, and Christine, as you were talking, I just kept thinking that it's so important to have a conversation like this because mm-hmm. it shows people who are in pain. I, I mean, I remember when I was going through it, I was so inspired by the stories of people that gave me hope, that that showed me that it's not going to be this way forever. And and I think that it's so important that we're talking about this and yeah. and that you're sharing this. Oh, yeah, because, you know, I, I found that um, for me, First of all, I found that when I wrote the first book that I ever did on loss was called Heartbroken Open, a memoir through loss to self-discovery. I found that to be so healing to just share my story and share my journey. And 
then I held heartbroken open circles in my home, and I had all these widows that were in their 40s coming to my house from all over the Bay Area and divorced, divorcees, people, you know, had gone through great loss and their divorces coming to my house. And what I found was that there was such power and strength and hope and encouragement and healing as we share our story. And at the back of each chapter of this new book that I've written, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, I have a... Um, a soul inquiry. It's it's a really the questions that I hope to lead each person on their own hero's journey through, and then a writing process. So I find that if you can sit down and process your story and write it from the hero's perspective, then you'll be well on your way to healing from that perspective and stepping into your life in a very heroic way. And you know, this is something that it doesn't matter what other people think of your story or anything. What matters is that you tell the story, your, what, what stories we tell ourselves. So if we tell ourselves a story that promotes us as the hero, then we step into our life with courage and a lot of hope and knowing that we're stronger from what's happened. And, you know, I, I just, that's what I find has been so healing and so helpful is for people to be able to share their story and even if it's just with one person or their family, you know, just to be able to tell their story is incredibly healing. The book is From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy by Christine Carlson. If you'd like to get more information about Christine or her work, you can visit from heartbreaktowholeness.com. Christine, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I'd like to just tell all of you that, you know, my whole thing, the thing that really saved me in, in losing my beloved and moving into my life in a way where I wake up every day just feeling tremendous joy. And, and it's, such a, it's such an inner joy. It's not something that's happening because of outside circumstances. It's I just feel alive and joyful. And what I would love to say to anyone is that there's always hope. There's always hope in this life, and that life in and of itself is a journey, that we are on a human journey, and that's why we're here. And the more you embrace that journey, the more you love that journey for what it is, the happier you'll be and the more joy you'll return to, the more joy you'll experience. And I really believe that we're here to experience really true and lasting joy. And yes, there's suffering on the journey too. And I hope that my book helps you in those suffering moments and gives you the encouragement and inspiration you need. And I just want to thank you, Joan, for the work that you're doing for the world, how beautiful what you've done to turn your heartbreak into something so powerful. So thank you. Thank you, Christina. And and thank you for joining us and for sharing such a powerful story of hope. As I said, these are really important conversations that must be had. And your work and in everything that you're doing is, is just a testament that we can move through any challenge that we have in life and come out, as you say, in wholeness. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973 Calm, vitality, mindfulness. 
We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. integrative medicine physician who practices anti-aging medicine, executive health, hormone replacement therapy, and weight management. She's the author of Vibrance for Life, How to Live Younger and Healthier. Dr. Maida is here today to discuss functional medicine. Welcome, Dr. Maida. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Joan. Dr. Maida, since Dr. Mark Hyman, who has been a guest on this show a few times, opened up the Functional Medicine Institute at the Cleveland Clinic, we're hearing a lot about functional medicine. What is the difference between traditional medicine and functional medicine? That's a very good question, Joan. You know, the National Institute of Health defines conventional medicine as a system which medical doctors and other healthcare professionals treat symptoms and diseases using drugs, radiation, or surgery. And it's extremely effective for treating acute problems such as heart attacks, broken bones, physical trauma. You, you know, you, you cannot throw away conventional medicine. But for chronic conditions, it may not be as good. Unlike conventional medicine, functional medicine focuses on identifying and addressing root cause of disease, not just symptom treatment. It examines every factor involved, such as genes, environment, lifestyle, and it treats the root cause of disease, not just the symptoms. So at the heart of functional medicine lies the understanding that when underlying causes are not addressed, problems can progress and worsen. And you must have known people who just ate badly, didn't sleep, was stressed out, had, you know, family history of diseases. And it's not a pretty picture. You know, you can get away with it when you're younger, but at some point it catches up to you because lifestyle factors such as diet and stress lead to irritating, chronic, and painful medical conditions. So, doctor, wanting to get to the root cause of disease, what types of conditions do functional medicine doctors treat? It treats a wide range of conditions. You know, a group is cardiometabolic conditions such as diabetes or high blood sugar, high blood pressure, heart disease, weight. Uh, it can really clear out your arteries. Uh, neurological and psychiatric conditions respond. Things like depression, anxiety, ADD, migraine headaches, digestive disorders. I have seen so many people with irritable bowel, ulcers, acid reflux, diverticulosis, constipation, diarrhea, and also I see a lot of autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, celiac, mixed connective tissue disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and skin disorders, psoriasis, acne, eczema. It's wonderful for the skin when you get to the root cause. And then the other area that's prevalent that uh, in functional medicine are thyroid conditions, chronic fatigue, menopause, andropause, and hormonal changes. What can a person expect when he or she visits a functional medicine practitioner? Well, first, I think it's important to understand that the goal, the goal is the main goal is to repair and restore the body's natural ability to heal by restoring system balance. So each of us is different and the care plans are going to be different, but Here's what to expect. You may be asked to change your lifestyle, such as diet, exercise, getting enough sleep, learning how to manage stress. I mean, it sounds easy, but it's not, not always that easy, and we can give you tools. Detoxification, that means taking out things that are going to be a burden on your liver, toxins that you can't process, and being able to use food and supplements to remove them. Sometimes you have to take nutritional supplements or botanical remedies, and in some cases, prescription medications. The other thing that you can expect is a partnership with you and your physician. Your functional medicine doctor is going to spend a lot more time with you in order to address all of the factors that might be standing in the way of your health and healing. And order specific functional medicine tests that will get to the root cause of what's going on with you. But the rewards are priceless, and the experience is extremely different. So that's why there's such an explosive growth in the field. 
And, you know, I would encourage you if you're struggling with something that traditional medicine is not giving you satisfaction, seek out a functional medicine physician. They can really do worlds of good. Doctor, everything that you listed, I mean, those conditions affect so many people. So if you're listening right now and, and you heard what you're experiencing on that list and want to get more information, you can learn more about these topics and Dr. Maida at howtoliveyounger.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Maida, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lorraine. She wants to be home with her friends. But at this moment, she's fighting a brain tumor. Please take a moment and join St. Jude in finding cures and saving children. Visit stjude.org. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. A good credit score is often a requirement to access better financial opportunities. Unfortunately, more than 100 million Americans don't have access to favorable credit products and terms today, either because their credit scores are too low or because they don't have enough credit history. Joining us today to offer tips to help us improve a credit score is Rod Griffin, Director of Consumer Education and Awareness for Experian. Welcome, Rod. Thanks for joining us. Joe, thank you for having me. So, Rod, what are the main reasons why people have low credit scores? There are a number of reasons. We just touched on one in the introduction that there are 100 million people with what we call thin files, which means they just don't have very much credit history, usually five or fewer accounts in that credit report. So that makes it hard for them to, to have good credit scores. And Experian's looked at that for a long time and have just announced something we call Experian Boost to help resolve that issue or help, at least help improve it. If you go to Experian.com slash boost, you can actually now begin to add your positive utility payments, positive cell phone payments to your credit report. In the past, the negative information would get there, but you didn't get the benefit of paying your bills on time for your utilities or your cell phone. And Experian, we're now able to help you change that to help boost those credit scores. And what are some other reasons besides having the thin file? The other reasons are sort of things we've known about for a long time. Missing payments, so having late payments on your credit report is the most serious issue for credit scores. Late payments will affect scores usually about 30% of the calculation, 30 to 35%. The other issue is people run up balances on their credit cards. So high balances as compared to their credit limits will have a very serious negative effect on their credit cards. So if you can pay your bills on time every time, if you can keep your balances low on your credit cards as low as possible, or even better, pay the balance in full each month, you're going to have good credit scores. I know that's sometimes easier said than done, Mm -hmm. but uh, those are the two by far most important things. My parents taught me when I was growing up to pay my balances in full, and that's something that I've always done. And and you just said that that's a great way to have good credit. But is it also important sometimes when building credit to make those payments monthly in order to establish yourself as a good customer for a company? Well, if you're paying them on time and you're paying them in full each month, you're still making that payment each month. So it's going to show the balance on your billing statement in the credit report. So even if you pay the balance in full, that you're going to show a balance, show that you're using that account in your credit report. So you need to make at least the minimum payment due, but ideally pay the balance in full. Rod, what are some of the benefits of having good credit? Well, there are a lot of benefits to having good credit. And I always distinguish between credit and debt. They're not the same thing, although they're very closely related. If you have good credit, You'll be able to qualify for better terms on loans, things like a mortgage. So if you can get the lowest rates available, it can save you literally tens of thousands of dollars over the life of that loan. You can get better rates on credit cards. You can get better rates on car loans, all of those sorts of things. What people don't think about is a good credit score can also help you get lower rates on things like insurance or let you pay lower security deposits on utility service helped you qualify for renting an apartment and getting a new lease. So credit scores and credit reports play a large role in your financial lives in ways that people sometimes don't think about. What are some ways that we as parents can help our children that may have just graduated college or just starting out? How can we help them build a good credit rating? That's a fantastic question. And if you can teach your, your children how to use credit well before they get into trouble, that's ideal. 
you, know, you always say you want them to learn from their mistakes, not with credit. That's the worst possible idea. So you can do a number of things. You could add them as an authorized user on an account you have and then show them what it means to make a charge, how to pay that debt each month, walk through the billing statement each month so that when they get on their own, they understand what credit is and what an emergency is and that it's not pizza and beer on Friday night, although it can seem like it, I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know so that's a great way add them as a joint account holder. But in order to have a credit history, you have to have an account in your name. So one great way, adding them as an authorized user, maybe have a secured account. So have money in a savings account that they can then tie to a credit card with your credit union or your bank, but build that history that way. Uh, And so they need to have an account in your name. Starting them early with one or two and teaching them about credit is the most important thing we can do. Ron, I know a lot of people who get into trouble with their credit cards and their credit rating drops quickly. How can a person turn that poor credit rating around and how long does that poor credit rating stay with you? Well, if it's a matter of increasing your balances, so having high balances as compared to your credit limits, the first thing you need to do is reduce those balances. So start paying down those credit card debts. And I often talk to people and you know, I tell them the first thing you have to do is stop spending, which can be the hardest thing to do. You have to stop charging and then start paying more than the minimum due to bring those those balances down. Uh, if you've been behind, it depends on how far behind you've fallen. If you have a late payment and that's the only thing in the credit report, if you catch up, you might be able to recover and bounce your scores back in a few months. If you have late payments that have gone to collection accounts and those sorts of things, it could take several years. So it's going to take longer depending on how severe the problems are. And where can we go to monitor our credit rating? Sure. The first thing you should do is check your credit report at least once a year, once every 12 months. You can get a free report at annualcreditreport.com. So that's provided for you under federal law. You can check your credit scores at using the Experian app, for example, or go to Experian.com. If you're trying to improve your credit scores, go to Experian.com slash boost. You can give us permission then to add your utility payments or your cell phone payments. For the first time in history, we're adding that positive information to help a person boost their credit score and gives you the power to choose whether or not that information is reported so you're in control of it. And that can help what we see is a 12 to 15 point increase for people within files or with scores that are less than 680. So it could be a huge help there. So you'll be able to get a FICO score when you enroll in Boost. Right away, you'll be able to see exactly what that change is. Two out of three people tell us that their scores improved when they've signed up for Boost. Rod, thank you so much for joining us and for explaining the importance of a good credit score and also for providing some tips to help us improve that score. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How could someone with obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, need help getting organized? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm, we help clients organize their lives as well as their homes. We specialize in serving young families and clients who are chronically disorganized. Someone who suffers with OCD lives with thoughts and fears, obsessions that lead to repetitive behaviors, compulsions, in the hopes of ignoring or dispelling the anxiety and stress caused by the the obsessions. These obsessions and compulsions affect and impair the individual's life on a daily basis. For organizing clients, OCD can show up as compulsive acquiring and over shopping. One client may have experienced extreme deprivation as a child and has deep-seated fears of not being able to find an item again. Now she proves her self-worth by treating herself to multiples of everything, the one in every color concept. Another client may be driven to find that one perfect item, so she may spend hours online or in stores buying a large quantity quantity of items that are barely distinguishable from each other, but to her are unique. In conjunction with therapeutic support, a professional organizer can help a client with OCD in the home by creating systems that soothe the anxiety, paring down excessive purchases, and clearing clutter that contributes to compulsive behaviors. If you're challenged by clutter and are ready to accept outside help, call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website, lgorganized.com. Do you have the leadership skills to effectively navigate your new job? Are you anxious about the first 90 days? Hi, I'm Amy Blumberg, an executive and leadership coach. 
but many of my clients call me the dot connector. If you are a striver that has started a new job, but quickly realized that the lack of proper onboarding, limited mentorship, and training has made your transition more challenging than expected, you might want to ask for help, but at your level, you're probably fearful of doing that. To ensure that you effectively thrive in the first 90 days in your new job, here are a few strategies to consider for my Building Dots program. One, start by making meaningful connections with peers and other key leaders in the organization. By collaborating and working together, you will build trust and credibility. Two, tackle challenges by removing the barriers that are stopping you from moving forward. Once these barriers are removed, you can clear a path to build momentum and deliver results you are proud of. Three, seek out mentors or coaching support to identify and deal with your fears and frustrations. This will help you boost confidence to perform at the level of confidence required. Once you take control of your destiny, you can lead with confidence to drive results. I can help you connect the dots because I've been a striver too. With one-on-one thoughtful direction, I can help you make the right strategic decisions to vault you from where you are currently to unlimited possibilities. For more details and contact information, go to amyblumbergcoaching.com. At Amy Blumberg Coaching, I connect people and possibilities. So I've got a great message for you today, and it's about stress. Stress is an essence of life, and it doesn't have to be distress. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood. I am a chiropractor, and we specialize in how people respond to stress, naturally by maintenance of ease in the spine and nervous system. When you think about your body under distress, at what rate do you breathe? Believe it or not, when testing patients, we found that the average person under stress was breathing 20 and even 30 breaths per minute. 8 to 12 breaths is normal. We can't live like this. It affects our blood chemistry, our entire acidity in the body. It affects every organ system that we have. So what we do in our office, we teach and train people to behave differently so that they can adapt better to the stresses that get them down. Come and meet me and let's do a stress test for you. Let's find out just how efficient or inefficient your breathing is. And guess what? You're going to correct your body's response to stress. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood, and I'm a chiropractor attending to stress in the nervous system. Find us at purebalancecenter.com and ask us about our locations in Clifton, New Jersey, and in New York City. Bob Marley once wrote, Open your eyes, look within. Are you satisfied with the life you're living? Hello, this is Davida Rabinowitz, and I'm a psychotherapist. Actually, I think of my role as a processor. I help people process their emotions. Getting back to Marley's question... Most people are not fully satisfied. However, some choose not to change and remain stuck. Therapy can help you move through the stages of change so you can get unstuck and achieve the life you want. The stages of change are pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, and termination. These stages are not linear. Most people get stuck between the stages of preparation and action. For example, you want to lose weight and you know that you need to do this is pre-contemplation and contemplation. You look up diets and you decide on one. This is preparation. But the action stage is the hurdle. Psychotherapy can help you move into action. If you would like more information on psychotherapy and or stages of change, please visit me at davidarabinowitz.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life but sometimes we just need a little help our coach on call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now joining me today is allison carmen a business consultant life coach and author of the gift of maybe offering hope and possibility in uncertain times allison's podcast 10 minutes to less suffering provides simple tools to reduce stress and worry allison is here today to discuss how to break the addiction to certainty Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So, Allison, I read in your book, The Gift of Maybe, that many of us are addicted to certainty. 
How does this addiction affect our lives, and how can the mindset of maybe heal this addiction and alleviate our stress and worry? Well, I can tell you from my own life that I was addicted to certainty, and this addiction created a need for me to know everything that was going to happen in my future. And if I didn't know, I projected things were going to be bad or they weren't going to work out. And I think a lot of us have this addiction in different parts of our lives. We worry and stress about the future of our job. We worry about not having enough money. We worry when someone we love is sick. We worry about our children's future, if they're not doing well in school or if they're struggling with friends. We worry our love relationships won't last. We often take our current circumstances or problems that concern us, and we project a bad outcome into the future. Many of us view what we don't know as a scary place, a negative place, a scenario of doom and gloom, and this creates a huge amount of stress and worry. But what we often forget is that because life is uncertain, that means what we don't know could also be good. Situations that look bad today could get better tomorrow, and that is where the maybe mindset comes in. Maybe reminds us that no matter what we face today, whether it's related to our jobs or health or children, maybe what is happening is good. Maybe it'll get better. Or maybe we can accept what we are experiencing and still be okay. Maybe there's something in this moment to experience, even though we were going through a difficult time. Maybe it's not a guarantee how life will turn out, but instead maybe reminds us that life changes. And within that change is hope and possibility. Can things go bad or get worse? Sure. But most of us are already worried about that scenario. What maybe reminds us is that there are unlimited possibilities in the unknown. And some of these possibilities we might like, and that is hopeful. The unknown future could hold a new job, a new relationship, a new opportunity for our children, a solution to a health problem, possibilities we can't even imagine today. When we embrace maybe, we realize that the unknown could be our best friend, an open playing field filled with beautiful possibilities. If you're looking to reduce your stress and worry and live more in the present, this mindset is a wonderful perspective to embrace. So I understand how being addicted to certainty can cause a lot of stress and worry. But how does it hold us back from pursuing our dreams or achieving our goals? Well, our need to know can be the foundation or priority for every choice that we make. In fact, our need for certainty affects how we face all parts of our lives, how we approach work, how we maintain relationships, and even how we parent. When we need certainty, we may lean towards a particular job with a certain future or pay grade, or we may analyze a problem with a limited view of all possibilities. We can choose relationships that feel secure and engage in activities we know and with which we are comfortable. We make choices for our children that seem like the most prudent path to success. And sometimes these decisions work out great, but often we're ignoring new opportunities, stifling creativity and true desires for the sake of certainty. And let's not forget that nothing is certain, and even choices that seem prudent at the time can change when the unexpected wind blows our way. If we could find the courage to face the unknown, we could face our futures more gently. We could examine new ideas, go places we never expected to go, or develop relationships with someone that is different from us. We can let our children quit the soccer team if they want to spend more time with friends or pursue a new interest. Mindfully releasing our need for certainty also creates more tolerance and patience as we give up our view or our path as the only way. This in turn can open us to the blossoming of life filled with wonder and maybe even happiness. It's amazing that the very thing we avoid, uncertainty, can be the catalyst for creating the life that we really want. Allison, do you have an exercise that our listeners can do that can help them break their addiction to certainty? Yes, here's an exercise that will help your listeners let go of their need for certainty and find more hope in everyday living. First, think about a current situation, one that is causing you stress and worry. Write your biggest fear down about that situation. Examples could be, I'm going to lose my job. I will never meet anyone who loves me. I will never have enough money to buy a house. My child will never get into a good college and be successful. Now ask yourself, is your fear about this situation absolute? Can you know for sure how things will turn out? Next, challenge your statement with the idea of maybe. Write down the following. Maybe my beliefs about this situation are not true. Maybe what is happening is good. Maybe what's happening could get better. Maybe I can find a way to accept whatever I'm experiencing and still be okay. Maybe in time, I will know what to do next. You could phrase these maybe statements in your own words or use only the ones that feel right. You could also write more specific statements about your situation. Try to review these broad and specific statements a few times each day. 
When I'm very stressed, I find it helpful to do these statements for about 20 minutes. After a while, you'll feel lighter and more spacious. After doing the maybe statements, if you still feel pain or have stress and worry about a situation, there's a good chance it will be greatly reduced because you will recognize that things could work out differently than your worst fear. It's like throwing your fear or worry in an ocean, and it seems so much smaller or diluted when you recognize there are other possibilities that you like or will bring you joy. As your worries of the future are softened, you might even find something right in front of you to enjoy. Sometimes you will even find one maybe statement that's just magical and will automatically remind you of more possibilities. You could say it throughout the day and your mind will quiet and be more hopeful and present. For me, that statement is, maybe everything is okay. It sounds so simple because it's just one word, but this one word can bring you peace, joy, and hope even during the most difficult times. It can also expand your life to include new experiences and new opportunities because instead of looking for certainty, you'll be looking to live your best life. And all you need to say is maybe. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, if you would like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. Opiates has taken everything and everyone I've ever loved away from me everything. I blew my ankle out and I got prescribed pain pills by my doctor. If making my detox public is going to help somebody, I'm all for it. I just wish I would have had a warning. Opioid dependence can happen after just five days. Know the truth. Spread the truth. A message from Truth, the Ad Council, and ONDCP. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.